Today on the show, the day after. Not the late 80s fear-mongering made-for-TV movie about the threat of nuclear war, although some of you here in the Northwest want to blow things up. But how do we feel now 24 hours after we've had a chance to digest the Seahawks' 30-13 to loss to the Rams in Week 1? I've had a chance to sit with it, watch it again, listen to the coaches and players speak, watch some of the analysis. Do I feel any differently now than I did after the game yesterday? I've also had a chance to react to some of your comments, a record-setting number of comments on yesterday's reaction show, many of them from Rams fans. Was this just one bad game, or are there bigger systematic issues we need to be concerned about as Seahawks fan? I'll, I'll tackle some of that and more in this edition of Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Got to give credit where credit is due. Um, the guys at uh, on the podcast arm of the Draft Network um, often do a segment called Takes on Takes. Uh, where they take your draft takes and they react to those. I'm going to be doing a little bit of that today. I've kind of consolidated a list of what I feel like are the four or five top complaints or takes on what happened, what we saw yesterday. And I'll react to those and tell you what I think. And some of that with the benefit now of hindsight and historical perspective as we look back on what happened yesterday and try and put it in perspective, try to give it some context, not just within the framework of the Seahawks and their expectations. Some of Pete Carroll's reactions to that. I have some sound coming up, but also what we saw around the league and what we have seen historically. Um, as we get started, hit that like button, that notification bell. So you get notification of new episodes, subscribe to the channel. It's the best way to support the show. And if you really like what I do, you can buy me a coffee. Link in the description. Better yet, buy me a beer. And that's uh, there are two sounds today that kind of sum up how I'm feeling today and I think the fan base seems to be feeling. One sound is this right here. <laughs> it's, it's the day after, and uh, I don't know if you'll be able to hear this too. Okay. Uh, if you're watching it on YouTube, I'm pouring myself a beer. 24 hours later, still got to have a drink. Brought to you by the fine folks at Blue Moon. Which, by the way, side note, um, I don't think it's a big uh, case anymore. Back in my bartending days, uh, I used to laugh at people who would come in and order Blue Moon thinking they were ordering, that they were edgy, man, and they were ordering a really hip microbrew, not knowing that it's made by the folks at uh, Coors. Um, that sound, and then also this sound, is another one that I think sums up what some of you are feeling today. That that might be the sound of uh, the Seahawks exploding or imploding, uh, or it, it might be what you want to do to the framework of the Seahawks infrastructure. Um, I'm going to tackle some of that today. Thank you so much for everyone who tuned in and uh, and watched the video yesterday, my reaction to it, and um, many of many of you Rams fans. And I appreciate that. And and for the most part, not even for the most part, there was really no disrespect. There was a lot of respectful commentary, insight, your reactions. There were there was some dunking, right? 
There was some dunking and some chest pounding. That's what we do. That is the nature of the tribalism of sports. That's probably a term I'm going to adopt and use a lot. I watched a, uh, a special from the fantastic stand-up comedian Dan Cummins, um, who I discovered years ago opening for Brian Regan. Uh, he's from Idaho. If you haven't seen him, check him out. Uh, he has a bit, his, my introduction to him and his style would be YouTube, uh, Dan Cummins voicemail and watch his bit about a voicemail that his wife left him. It's hilarious, but he just came out with a new special on YouTube and he talks about how people treat politics these days like sports, that kind of tribalism, that my team, your team, my team's better than yours. And, and it's all about wins and losses and, and the point of following your team is so that when you do win, you get to dunk. It's not why I like sports, but I try to be forgiving of it when people take that to an extreme because I get it. I get it. As long as it's respectful and all of you were, and it was some really, really great feedback and give and take. And I got to, I got to say this, I had this in my notes at the end of the show, but I'm going to do it right off the top. Give credit to Jake Ellenbogen, uh, who covers the Rams. And I did a preview show with him. If you haven't watched that show, just, Hey, for fun, go back and watch it. I'll link that in the description as well. Because the things he said at the time seem like hyperbole. They seem like things that come from someone who is focusing on finding reasons to believe in their team when most other people are counting them out. And he believed, and in, in particular, he believed very strongly in uh, the offensive line that the Rams had put together and this receiving group, even with the absence of Cooper Cup. And man, was he right. Tutu Atwell and Puka Nakua were outstanding yesterday, as was Matt Stafford. He talked about Matt being as healthy as he's been in years. And motivated to to prove that he still can play. And and he certainly did that at a high level. If anyone forgot how good Matt Stafford was or had taken that for granted or, um, or thought that his best days were behind him because of the elbow, certainly not the case. When you watch the video replay, especially when you watch the All-22, man, as much as we are going to sit here and talk about how Seahawks pass coverage was abysmal and needs to be fixed, and, and I'm not... I'm not so sure that's in the right hands. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> he wasn't making easy throws. This is this was not a case. And I'm going to go over this again just to recap, put it into context a little bit of how yesterday's, yesterday's game progressed and remind you of some things that maybe we're forgetting or that are getting lost in the analysis. But a lot of these throws that Stafford was killing us with were not. They were high degree of difficulty throws. They were not the kind of throws that if we're facing, I don't know, pick any of 15 or 20 other quarterbacks in the league, any of the young quarterbacks uh, that that made their debuts yesterday that didn't play all that well, or guys like Justin Fields. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know if Jalen Hurts makes a lot of those throws. These were surgical. These were Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert level throws into tight windows where there was one that doesn't even show up on all 22 and give it justice. But in the the television broadcast angle from behind with the, uh, I think it was the sky cam angle of a sideline throw. I think it was one of the, the throws that he made to, to uh, Nakua uh, where even when you watch it from behind him, which is close as we're ever going to get to his viewpoint. I don't know how he even sees that that can be there. <laughs> The faith, the confidence he has in his ability to put a ball in a very, very small window. This isn't a case of as bad as the pass defense was yesterday. And this is officially a tangent now. This wasn't something I intended to talk about early on. Um, But as bad as our run defense looked last year, 
the run defense was abysmal, like just broken assignments, guys running free, the Josh Jacobs run to win it in overtime, just dudes whiffing on tackles or not being in the right place at the right time and holes being wide open and having no chance. Stafford was making throws yesterday, throw after throw after throw into coverage and putting it right on the money. Um, the other point I want to make before I get into my list here is as we look at this, because this point has been made to me and it's, it's a valid one. I was accused of only seeing things from the Seahawks standpoint and, and you didn't talk about what the Rams did well and how, how this game could have been more of a blowout with that We dropped some passes and that there were some things that were missed. Um, I do a Seahawks podcast. That is going to be my focus. And so if you're looking for Rams analysis, go to Jake's channel because it's great. Okay. So I wanted to kind of take, I think I have five here of what I think are the top takes or sort of angles that people are taking today in looking at this game. Um, and some of them are just, Hey, this is football. And some of them are big picture and get kind of scary in the grand scheme of things. Number one is Seahawks bad versus Rams good. Right? Was that, did we discount the Rams and they're actually going to be good? And Jake actually thinks they're going to be a playoff team? Or are the Seahawks just not as good as we thought they were? The easy out here is the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. And nowhere in the NFL are you going to find year in, year out, the most difficult evidence to, to try to analyze than week one, right? We see it all the time. I, I touched on this in the live stream that Dana and I did on the PSF app yesterday. Please download that. We had a great time. It's fantastic. Um, we'll be doing it again for the Lions game Sunday morning, live streaming during the game. We also have our midweek show at 10 a.m. Pacific time coming up this week. Um, Remember that the, the home opener, Zach Taylor's first game as head coach of the Bengals when we just thought they didn't have any talent and they came into Lumen Field. And we still had Russell Wilson in his prime and, and saw ourselves as a contender and end up winning that game. But but it was scary the whole time. And the Bengals kind of kind of ran around us that day. Like you just, and then I don't know how many games did they win that first year? It happens this week. Chiefs lose. Defending Super Bowl champs. Bengals get blown out. Who saw that coming by the Cleveland Browns? Vikings lose at home. Giants blown out at home. A team that a lot of people think is a playoff team. And Brian Dable is getting talked up as one of the great up-and-coming young coaches. And Daniel Jones just got paid. And Saquon Barkley, you know, now two years removed from injury. And, and all the talent they have up front on defense there. And what was it, 40 to nothing at home? It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The question of, and this is, you know, again, the cop-out is, we'll see. Time will tell. Are the Rams that good? Or did Sean McVay just do a really, really good job of getting this team prepared mentally? Not just X's and O's, but 
but psychologically. And I kind of equate it to the Seahawks first game last year, Monday Night Football against Denver. One year ago today, nobody expected the Seahawks to win or even be able to compete with Geno Smith against Russell Wilson in his debut for the Broncos. And did the Broncos take us lightly a little bit? Did the Seahawks play over their heads a little bit? We'll we'll find out about the Rams. That's something I'm not qualified to really make an assessment on because I didn't watch them through training camp. I didn't watch practices. I didn't go to scrimmages. I didn't watch preseason games. You know, that's, that's again, that's what Jake does. And he was confident in after watching all of that. I don't know about that. I'm not going to speak on that. As far as Seahawks go, I'm on record time and time and time again how good I think this roster is and how much I think uh, – how, how well John Schneider has stocked this roster up in the draft last two years. But if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And again, time will tell. I never expected to see what we saw yesterday. Zero contributions from the rookie class. This year's rookie class. And then we lose the two tackles during the game and things kind of went downhill from there. But I wanted to, before I move on to the second point, I wanted to sum this one up in this way. How quickly we forget. Everyone talking about the sky is falling and this is an indication that this team could be terrible. And there's already been some hints on Twitter today that are we going to be, hey, maybe we'll end up with a top 10 draft pick. This is a really good draft, a much better draft than last year. So, you know, that would be a nice consolation prize. Um, And then those that are trying to stay positive, it was just a bad game. I will say this, it wasn't just a bad game. Guys, it was one bad half. Let's go back in time 24 hours. Seahawks first drive, 12 plays, 57 yards. They kick a field goal, take a 3-0 lead. Then they give up a touchdown drive on the Rams' first drive, but they make them go 16 plays, 75 yards, 16 plays in nine and a half minutes. Score a touchdown, 7-3. They weren't getting gouged. They weren't giving up explosive plays. Okay, great game plan by McVay. Seattle answers. 12 plays, 75 yards, balanced offense. They're running the football. Geno connects with Disley. They score a touchdown, take a 10 to three lead or 10 to seven lead. Then they force a three and out Rams punt. Then Seattle six play drive field goal. Then they block a Rams field goal. They don't capitalize right before the half. That was a real turning point in some people's eyes, especially because the Rams start the second half with the ball. That was a huge turning point. So at the half, they're, they're up. Then first drive of the second half, Rams come out 10 plays, 76 yards for the touchdown. So it's a 10-point swing there with the missed field goal, and then they go down and, and score on that next drive. And then Seattle's offense goes in the tank, and four straight drives they're forced to punt. Seahawks played well enough in the first half. We saw some of the things we expected to see from them. We saw Geno make some nice throws. We saw Waldron calling a balanced game. We saw Kenneth Walker running with authority. We saw running lanes open. The defense was making the Rams have to work. Then they missed the field goal. They allow the long touchdown drive in the second half. Rams take the lead, and the Seattle offense just can't operate after that. So I just wanted to remind us all of that, myself as much as you. This team led at halftime and was playing well. 
And then it just went off the rails. The second point, a lot of fire Pete Carroll stuff today. And man, it doesn't take much to bring this up in some of the fan base. And I just don't get it. Okay. Let me remind you. He's tied right now for third in the NFL, winning this, winning his active coach behind Belichick and Reed, tied with Mike Tomlin, 13 seasons as Seahawks head coach, eight double-digit win seasons, only three losing seasons. And each of those seasons, they 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 won seven games. Even as bad as things have gotten in the, the couple of their down seasons, he's kept things from being disastrous. Nine and eight last year when nobody expected them to be any good. And with a porous defense. Um, you know, I've always been a fan of Pete Carroll. That's why I kind of wanted to reiterate this on the record. Because of how he runs his program, it's everything you want. I get a chance to interact with these players on a regular basis, and they are all terrific character guys, polite, respectful It's not the case everywhere in the NFL. I've been around athletes enough to know the way he runs his program is the way you want it to run. Now, some people will criticize that they focus too much on character and sometimes in the draft, especially pass up on superior talent in order to fill their locker room with the type of personality and uh, an inner drive that they like in a player. Has the league passed him by? Heard a lot of that today. Is he unadaptable? To that, I would say, just look at what's happened on offense the last couple of years. Bringing in Shane Waldron and giving him the keys to the offense and then how that offense has evolved and how much more complex it's gotten. And the fact in the last um, five, six years, I know at least the Seahawks are among the league leaders in early down pass rate. He's evolved offensively. Defensively, different story. And this is what we're going to talk a lot about. Not just today, but over the coming weeks. His ability to scheme to modern offenses, to coach against modern offenses, and to select and trust and delegate defensive coordinators. Somebody said uh, in my video yesterday, I didn't give Clint Hurt enough criticism. I mean, I ripped the way we cover in the secondary and the soft zones. I ripped our lack of pass rush. Do I have to actually say his name for that to not connect? Come on. And at the end of the day, Pete Carroll is a guy in charge of this defense. Does he give full 100% autonomy to his defensive coordinators? At times he indicates that he does, but I don't. I just never have believed that. If so... If, if he sticks around very long, maybe it's time for him to go out and get a veteran defensive coordinator and fully and pay that guy and hand the keys over to him. Because that's a big, big question mark that needs to be answered over the next few weeks is, you know, he talks, he was gracious in the postgame press conferences about how good Stafford is and, and how those are big time throws. But there was no adaptation. There was no adjustments. There were no adjustments. Uh, side note, I know uh, in, a, in a fit of emotion at the beginning of my show yesterday, I said I don't want to watch the post-game press conference because Sean McVay was going to be cocky. And, and I got a lot of blowback on that. And fair, fair that Sean's always been a respectful guy, was respectful towards Pete Carroll after the game, always is. It's just, um, 
it's how I was feeling in the moment. Uh, cause, and it came directly from a shot that the TV coverage showed of him on the sideline and the look on his face after they knew they had won the game. And it just, it wasn't a look of, yay, we won the game. It was a look of, we showed those MFers and it just it rubbed me the wrong way. And, and I was emotional about it. I have all the respect in the world for Sean McVay. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. Um, as we get, uh, I'm going to save that more till the end because he outcoached Pete Carroll yesterday. 100% outcoached Pete Carroll yesterday. We saw that in the second half when things did go off the rails, that there was um, not only a lack of adjustments by Seattle, but but to me, one of, the, one of the signs of brilliance in coaching is if something's working, stick with it. Don't get too cute. And McVay did that and leaned into it. Like, oh, if they're not going to be able to cover those in-breaking routes, those middle-breaking routes that Matt Stafford has made a living on, then we're just going to keep calling those plays. And he did. And Seahawks couldn't stop it. Uh, but also in the area of motivation, and tuck that away because we're going to come back to that with some sound from from Pete. And I think that's where this, this game in that second half was decided, was mindset, not X's and O's. Uh, on the note of X's and O's, so before I move on to the next point, um, Keep in mind, Matt Hasselbeck even just came out a couple weeks ago and said, Pete's one of the best X and O guys that I've ever been around in the NFL. Right? What he prides himself on. In fact, let's get to that now. I'm just going to, I'm going to jump ahead to that because I do have some sound from his radio show this morning. Because this is my biggest concern. Y'all think I'm seeing this under, you know, with through Seahawks colored glasses and everything's hunky-dory and we're going to be fine. This concerns me. A lot. And I talked about it on the show yesterday. This was Pete today in his radio show on uh, Seattle Sports 710. Talking about expectations. Listen, if you haven't heard it yet, really, really listen. And then um, I'll tell you what I think. I know that we had really high expectations going in. And uh, I, I would be the first to tell you. I had him personally. I probably did a really good job of transferring that to our fans. And they were ready for us too, you know. And, and it didn't happen. It was really, uh, really disappointing. Pete started his show by saying, I didn't do a good enough job. Especially in the second half. I didn't do a good enough job of getting these guys ready. And I think that that comment right there that you just heard. And the way he said it, the tone, the little laugh there was uncomfortable. Uh, it, it was, to me, it was nervous laughter and it's my biggest concern. After everything that I just talked about, after his career and the success he's had in, in, in molding mindsets um, in his coaching career, how can you come in? How can you take an opponent lightly? How can you you have a team like this that's so young not respecting the opponent enough? We heard it after the game. We heard it from Gino. We heard it from DK. Heard it from several players. The Rams played harder than we did. They wanted it more than we did. And you saw it on the Seahawks' faces on the live stream yesterday. I pointed out on the broadcast angle, look at JSN, DK. They showed a bunch of guys on the sidelines. They looked defeated. They looked stunned. How does Pete let that happen? Pete came out a few days ago and said, we have expectations of accomplishing something special this year, and we're going to lean into that. I think this team was overconfident and took the Rams lightly, and that, that's inexcusable. Pete cannot let that happen. 
Here's another quote a little bit later that I think kind of emphasizes that point. Uh, you know, you, this game is one that you can get distracted. You know, you can get distracted and you come away from being like you're capable. And that's we have to be uh, strong enough and mindful enough to, to be in command of our, of our senses and our awareness and our, and our actions and really just the fundamental play. We got sloppy in, 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 the, in there as we got going and because we got distracted some. And we were, you know, the penalties that happened in the second half, that, that, that's, 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 that stinks. You know, that we, didn't, we shouldn't have done that. And, he uses the word we. I feel, again, this is where I'm concerned. I feel like he's deflecting there, man. Like he's not taking enough accountability. Those distractions he's talking about, I interpret that as the expectations, the high expectations. Certain national media members picking them to beat the 49ers in the NFC West this year and win the division. Certain publications picking them to go to the Super Bowl. He talks about those as external distractions in the same breath as he's talking about how he has special expectations for them. Uh, I think, I think he's to blame for those distractions. He didn't do a good enough job of managing that and giving this team an edge coming out on opening day. Um, number three, the number three take I think I've seen a lot of today is you should have known on a couple of things, Right. You should have known, these are the three biggest ones. You should have known that you should have taken Jalen Carter. Seahawks got no pass pressure yesterday, none. Jalen Carter in his rookie debut for the Eagles yesterday had eight quarterback pressures. We're going to hear that till the end of time, unless Devin Witherspoon comes out and plays at an all-pro level. And again, I touched on it earlier. Is this an example of the team placing too much emphasis on character over talent. The late, great John Clayton, who Sean Salisbury uh, got choked up when talking about him, his old friend uh, and cohort on ESPN back in the day on Four Downs. Um, if you haven't watched that episode, I'll link it in the, in the description as well. Go back and watch it. It was it was one of my favorite interviews I ever did. Sean was really gracious with his time and and really um, was willing to talk about all this stuff. John Clayton used to say over and over and over again, the NFL is a talent acquisition league. When he was picking games and trying to predict what teams are going to be good, he just he just looked at talent. And so this, you know, you should have known the Rams are going to be this good. There's a lot of that in my comments from the show yesterday. You should have known. Eight. I'm going to keep hammering in this stat. Eight of their starters on defense, six-round picks, seventh-round picks, or undrafted free agents, right? They didn't, they had no continuity. They didn't resign guys. They didn't, they didn't, they let Greg Gaines go two years ago. They let Taylor Rapp go. These are high draft picks. They, there was every reasonable reason to think that the Rams weren't going to be very good on defense because it was Aaron Donald and 10 other guys. Round one, week one, Disputes that, shows that that's wrong. But to grand, you know, to try and convince me or anyone else that you should have known the Rams were going to be this good, I think is a little bit of hyperbole. And then the other one is you should have known Gino wasn't any good. Gino was bad yesterday. I, I said it, said it on the live stream, said it on the show. And I've been a champion of his after what I saw yesterday because, because, what I saw from him last year, the eye test was real legitimate talent. He made a lot of throws last year that were similar to what we saw from Matt Stafford yesterday. He wasn't just hitting wide open guys doing the easy thing. He went, 
jury's still out because I have said, I am on record as saying that what we don't know about Gino is how you deal with prosperity, how you deal with being the guy, having the job, knowing you have the job all off season, getting paid, having some security, having some validation. Now what? We're going to find out about Geno Smith, but to judge him on just one game, uh, especially when both your starting offensive tackles go out, I, I think that's really unfair. We'll find out. We'll find out. He missed some throws. Man, he missed some throws. He missed Jake Bobo wide open on what would have been a touchdown, and and uh, it's really glaring on the All-22. And um, But we'll find out. How does he respond? Uh, number four, is this just one game, or are there bigger issues at hand? Is this a systematic problem? And it goes back to, has the game passed Carroll by? Those motivational tactics, have they worn thin? Has he filled the locker room with a bunch of nice dudes and maybe not enough dogs? little Jim Mora flashback there. Um, this is one that, uh, you know, I have no answer for it today because we're gonna, time will tell. But I'll say this. At the end of the day, I love the Seahawks. The Seahawks are going to be around forever. I love the team. Coaches will come and go. Players will come and go. And I'm going to be here no matter what. If they didn't build this thing right, and some of those misses in the draft or choices they made, best player available over need, come back to bite them? Or if Pete can't fix this defense and maybe just he just doesn't have that magic touch anymore or the league is passing by a little bit, those are questions for later and those are questions that will get answered and we'll, we'll deal with those when they come up. For now, it's just, can they turn this around in a week? And how bad could it get? What's the worst case scenario? I'm not going to, I'm not going to answer that question today, but I think, I think that's the most fair question to come out of week one is, oh God, what if this goes off the rails? Charles Cross has a toe injury. Those can be tricky, really tricky. Abe Lucas' knee, Pete comes out afterwards and says it's an old thing. He was feeling better today. We'll see how he, he manages it. Well, if it's an old issue, then why didn't they fix it? So now we're facing the prospect of our two tackles, the two best offensive linemen we have. A huge part of the reason we surpassed expectations last year being out. Jake Kern looked terrible yesterday. Stone Forsyth, from what I saw, like in, in pass protections, okay. He might be passable there. Might prefer him at right tackle, though. Some people came at me this preseason and said, I'm concerned about the tackle depth. And I kind of brushed it off, but it's a huge issue now. They're bringing in Jason frickin' Peters at 41 years old. Played for the Cowboys last year part-time. Uh, only had 135 pass-blocking snaps. Gave up 11 pressures and one, sat, uh, one sack. 41 years old to see the answer. There isn't anything else out there. Uh, I've heard the name Taylor Lewan mentioned. He has said, he has pushed back against people that say he's retired. He says he's not. But I've seen him on his TV gigs. He doesn't look 300 pounds anymore. I, there's not much you can do. You can maybe snipe someone off a practice squad somewhere. But is that person, is that player going to be starting quality? This could get bad. The Lions... Pete acknowledged it, and, and Dan Campbell leaned into it. This is their home opener. 
You're hoping for a letdown because they beat the Chiefs last week? It's their home opener. That place is going to be packed. They've sold out their season for the first time in 41 years. I think I saw it today. And Dan Campbell's going to have that team fired up. And you got Aiden Hutchinson and some of those pass rushers they have. Uh, they're going to be flying around. That's going to be a tough one. This team, most likely, I'm not a betting guy, but I wouldn't bet for the Seahawks to win week two. I think they're going to be 0-2, coming home, hoping to get right against a Carolina Panthers team with a, with a rookie quarterback. Um, if there's any consolation, maybe the Giants aren't as good as we thought. And there's a chance to get to 2-2 two and two by the bye. This season may be less about can this team contend and more about where the hell are they? And I keep coming back to a comment that Bill Ofstad made to me several times and, and his co-host Keith Myers too on the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. We've talked about this many times over the last year. And he keeps saying that he views this as year two of a three-year a three-year rebuild. Uh, I think he could be right. Usually I'm able to talk myself down after a loss, right? I tried to go back historically and kind of find other losses that I feel similarly about. And I guess the one that kind of sticks out is that Giants game at home a couple of years ago with Colt McCoy playing quarterback where the team just was flat, absolutely flat, never adjusted, had major concerns about Shane Waldron coming out of that game. Just thought it was inexcusable that Pete didn't have him ready to play. I think it's similar. Do they bounce back? Can they turn this thing around? And we'll talk about this, this game. And we're going to flush this today. We're going to put it behind us today. And then we're going to start looking ahead. Uh, Chris Perfett, uh, who covers the Lions, is going to come on with me Wednesday. We'll do our proper preview show. Um, and we'll start looking ahead. It's I'm just looking for them to compete. Need to see something out of them Sunday, even if they don't win the game. Need to see Pete get this team ready and get some contributions from some young players who didn't show up. And we need to see a bounce back game from Gino outside of that. Um, this one's going to linger. Never expected to feel this way uh, the day after yesterday's game. But again, let's, let's finish on a positive note. I just want to remind you it was one bad half, not an entirely bad game. We'll find out where it goes from here. Uh, let's see. Let's go with, Let's go with that. Sorry to play around some audio there. Uh, like the channel, subscribe to the channel, buy me a coffee if you want. Description link and those shows that I mentioned are down there as well. Follow me on on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Be back Wednesday with Chris Perfett, uh, who covers the Lions, and we'll preview the next game and download that PSF app. It's available on uh, iTunes or iPhone right now. They had some issues with Android. Wasn't ready for week one. Should be ready this week. Keep an eye on that. Uh, we had a lot of fun with that during the game. Watch my Twitter feed for some little uh, clips from that and some promos. And uh, Dana and I will have our live midweek show, 10 a.m. Pacific time on the app Wednesday. Until then, let's wrap this up, okay? Flush the old one and move on to the new forever and always. Go Seahawks. Thanks for watching, you guys.